But we are going to uh, deal with just the first, really the first six verses of Hebrews chapter 11. Let's read. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Let's pray. Father, we worship you this morning. We acknowledge that you are God. We bow the knee to you and rejoice that we get to know you. We give you honor. We call to mind who you are and what you've done. We call to mind that you have always existed that you do not need anything outside of yourself. You are self-sufficient. You are overall, the creator of all. You are unchanging. And you are holy and righteous and good. And you are merciful and loving and kind. And so we worship you this morning. Father, we praise you for what you've done for us in Christ. We praise you for those things we got to sing about. That our sin has been placed on him and punished there. That we in turn receive forgiveness and the righteousness of Christ applied to us, to our account. So we can stand before you by faith in Christ at peace with God able to call you Father rejoicing to know you and so we praise you and Father as we turn now to your word to discuss the topic of faith I ask that you would help us I ask that this word that is used so often, even in our daily conversation, certainly in our Bible studies and sermons and Sunday school classes, we use the word faith a lot. May it not be background noise. May we not ignore it or pass by it because we've heard it so often. But may we engage with your word even this morning. So, Father, we ask that you would work now 
We commit this time to you. This is your word. This is your church. We pray that you would work in us by your spirit. We commit this to you and we ask for your blessing and your work. Even this morning in Jesus name. Amen. So do you remember when you first heard the gospel? Some of you don't because you've known the gospel, you've heard the gospel your whole life, and some of you maybe later in life you heard it for the first time. Do you remember when, uh, when you were first told that you are to believe the gospel, that you are to have faith, and the result is salvation? Do you remember what you had in your mind as a definition for faith? As a definition for what belief was, I, I, doubt, I doubt you know now what you had in your mind back then. I have a pretty good recollection of what I had in mind when I first heard the gospel and someone told me that I was to believe in the Lord Jesus and I would be saved, that I was to have faith in the gospel and, and I would uh, be, be saved, I would become a Christian. I remember kind of what I had in mind as a definition, not exactly, but to, to me, to the best of my recollection, faith meant something like acting as though it's true. Maybe even pretending like it's true. That's kind of what I thought faith meant. And, uh, and so you could imagine that when I first heard the gospel, I, there was some skepticism there. That I understood that I was supposed to now begin to act like these things were true. Whether they were or not whether I really thought they were or not. And so there can be confusion about what faith means. And uh, you can read that word in, in the news. You can read that word on Facebook, and it comes up in conversation. And it has come up in our tour through the book of Romans that Paul has mentioned several times, numerous times about faith and what's the result of faith. He's talked about Abraham being justified by faith. He's talking about us also being justified. And, and so the word is used a lot. So I thought it would be appropriate for us to stop and kind of think about what the word faith itself means. And so I'm not going to do a complete uh, summary of all that the Bible teaches on that topic, but it occurred to me that uh, probably one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible is the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And, of course, there are numerous examples in there of faith and, and people who had faith and, and whatnot. And uh, we're not going to look really at many of the examples today, but there are also some defining statements in Hebrews chapter 11 that I want us to look at. And so uh, look again, if, if you would, at uh, chapter 11. And I'm just going to read verse 1 for the moment. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So first I want to talk about the essence of faith. The essence of faith. Now, I, I usually read out of the ESV. 98% of the time I read out of the ESV. And it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. But the King James has a, a, a great... Uh, translation here. Instead of assurance, and by the way, most of the other versions use the word assurance or something like that, confidence or something like that. 
The King James says it's the substance of hope. And I, I prefer that translation. And the reason I prefer that translation is because of how similar the word assurance is to the word hope. So I think it would be a little bit of redundancy there. I think he's trying to say something about hope that's beyond just assurance. I think he's talking about the substance of hope. So first I want to talk about what is the definition of hope. I'm not going to be defining a million terms today, but, but it is important for us to kind of have that idea in mind. And so where are you going to go when you want to define a word? You go to the Internet and you go, you go to dictionary.com, right? And they will, they will give you some definitions. And uh, I find them relatively reliable, so I use them quite a bit. So on dictionary.com, if you look up the word hope, the uh, first definition that pops up is the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best, right? Like, I hope it won't snow today. Or if it were snowing today, I hope I get home without a car accident, right? It's I'm hoping that things will turn out for the best and I have some degree of assurance that that could be the case. It may or may not happen and it may or may not be rooted in reality, I might say, I hope the Cubs win the World Series, right? I don't really care if the Cubs win the World Series or not. Chances, you know, my hope may, may be disappointed in uh, judging by years past. But uh, that, so that's kind of the worldly definition of hope. It's sort of a pie in the sky. It's a, I hope this thing happens. It would be really great if that happened, and I'd be cheering for it if it did. But I don't know if it's going to or not. That's not the biblical concept of hope. The biblical concept of hope is a, a settled assurance of what will be, what will happen, because it has been promised to us by one who never lies and has the power to bring it about. So it's a settled assurance. When we talk about biblical hope, we're not just saying, I wish I may, I wish I might. We're talking about promises that Almighty God has made to us. God who has the power to bring these things to pass, who made the promises to us and cannot lie. So we don't see the promise yet. We don't see the reality in our hands yet, but we know that it's coming. We know we can rely on it because God said it. And so the biblical idea of hope is a very different one. So... In our passage here, he says, faith is the assurance or the substance of things hoped for. The substance of things hoped for. At first, I was just confused by that phrase. But let's, I want to see if I can flesh it out a little bit. And it helps us, actually, if we will look up the page or up the chapter a little bit into the end of chapter 10... And we're going to read verse 34. If you remember the book of Hebrews and you remember what's going on, these people had, uh, who, were, who were Jewish believers, they had gone through intense persecution. They had survived that intense persecution and their, their faith had remained intact. And now there was more persecution looming. And they were shaken in their boots because they remembered what it was like. And they wondered... 
what it would be like to go through it again. And so our author here is writing to encourage them to stick with it, not to abandon Christ to go back to, to Judaism, but instead to stick with Christ for a number of reasons. And in verse 34, he's reminding them of their past suffering. And he says, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So here's this situation where they were going through a situation where their property was being stolen, taken from them, whether by the government or neighbors or, or whatever. It was, stuff was being taken, their, their things. You know, Chris talked about you know, being concerned about things. He's not the only one in the room, right? We kind of grow attached to our stuff, you know, our home and our vehicles and other things that we have, we grow attached to it. And these people were under the threat of having that stuff stolen from them. And in fact, that stuff was stolen from them. And how did they endure it? How did they endure it when that stuff was being taken from them? You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. They did it with joy. Things that were being taken from them, they joyfully accepted that. Why? How could they do that? How could they do that? Because they knew they had a better possession. They knew they had a possession that could not be stolen from them. They knew they had treasure in heaven. They knew they had salvation in Christ. They knew they had peace with God. And there's no one and nothing that can take that from you. And so here they were having their possessions stolen from them, and they accepted that joyfully since they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one. So the, the substance of hope is the idea of realizing God has promised what He's going to do in the future. He has promised that He will always be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He has promised that you will be with Him in glory. He has promised that He will form you into the image of His Son. He's promised these things, but you don't see them yet. They're future. But God can't lie. And He's told you it will be so. And so the promise is out there. The possession is out there. And what faith does is it takes that possession that's out there and it operates here and now as if you already had it in your hands. So these people were willing to give up the plundering of their property because they looked with the eyes of faith on their future possessions, a better and an abiding one from God, Peace with God, life with God, eternity with God. They brought that into the present, as it were, by faith. And they were willing to have their things stolen because I've got the better thing right here. You know, when, when uh, we have two small children in the house, neither of them is here, so I can talk about them openly. And uh, when one grabs something that, uh, like a cupcake or something, you know, even a toy, right? Grab a cupcake. Well, what does the other one want? Immediately. That same cupcake, not one like it. Well, sometimes one like it is okay, but often it's that one right there. I want that one, right? Well, what's baffling to us about that is that so often the child can already have something wonderful in their hand. 
like ice cream, which is better than muffins. They might have ice cream in their hand, but they see their sibling has a muffin. I want that muffin. And they're even willing to kind of put away the ice cream because of their desire for that muffin, which to me is baffling. That's a, you know, there's a problem there. I see some, some heads nodding, right? There's something wrong with that equation. Because they have a better possession already. Why would they care to hold on to that muffin? Why would they care to put aside this better possession to go after the lesser possession? Well, that's a little bit like what these Hebrews were doing. They had the better possession. Glory. Take my stuff. I don't care. I've got the better possession. And so when we say that faith is the substance of, of things hoped for. I think that's what's being discussed there is faith brings that future promise into the present as if you had it in your hands right now and you can make an accurate assessment of your life and an accurate assessment of this situation or the, the struggles you're going through or the things that, that uh, people are threatening to take away from you in one form or another and you saying, oh well, I don't really care because I've got the better and the abiding possession right here in my hands. And so the author here says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith brings those things into the present as if you already had them in your hands. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So first we talked about the substance of hope. Now talk about seeing the unseen. Seeing the unseen. Of course, there's irony there and whatnot, but, but we understand what's being talked about there. And he gives an excellent example of what he means by seeing the unseen by faith. Look at verse 3. He says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You see, we, we can look at the evidence in our world, and we can, if we're scientifically minded and rigorous and whatnot, we can even see, you know, that the world was created and didn't pop out of nothing because that doesn't happen. Um, we could talk about stuff like that, but how was the world created? Your science will not lead you there. The world was created by the Word of God. That requires faith. We take that message on faith. And the only way we know it is because there was only one person there. He never lies. And he has told us. He created the world, the universe and all that's in it, by his word. We take that by faith. We believe it. And we have to. We have no other options. I mean, we can disbelieve it, but I mean, we can't prove it. We can't substantiate it some other way. Science can point to the fact of creation, but it cannot point to the means of creation, how he did it by the word of God. And so we take it on faith because we don't see it. We can't see it. The same is true with things in the future. The fulfillment of God's promises in the future. We take them on faith because we know who God is. We know that he's promised them to us, and therefore he will fulfill them. And so faith allows us to see those things that are as yet unseen, similar to the way we see creation, even though we can't see 
how it was done. And so, when we see what is unseen, when we really do see with the eyes of faith about what will be, about God's promises, about the reality of of future glory with Him, about, about judgment, about reward, about eternity, when we truly see those things, with the eyes of faith, we act accordingly. We act accordingly. True faith sees the future, sees what God says. Maybe it's not a future event. Maybe it's a present reality that is unseen to us. True faith sees that and acts accordingly because they really believe it. And so this is one way we recognize a false faith. Someone who claims to have faith. Someone who claims to believe these things. To believe the gospel, to believe in Christ, to believe the Bible. And yet with their life, they live contrary to it. What they're telling you is, they don't really see those things as being reality. They don't really see future judgment as being reality. They don't really see eternity and glory and God as a reality as evidenced by the fact that they don't live in light of that reality. And so we can spot a false faith. Now, by the way, we, we all have moments of this, don't we? We call it sin when we do that. It's, it's when we, we decide to take our eyes off of those those spiritual realities, maybe future realities that, that we know and believe are true, and we take our eyes off and instead we focus on this thing. For the believer, that's a momentary thing. That's not a consistent lifestyle. For the true believer, our eyes will always come back to the true reality of who God is, of what glory is of coming judgment, of the reality of peace with God only in Christ. Faith lays hold of future realities and the promises of God, brings them into the now, and behaves as though they are true and present. And so the question of application here is, maybe your faith is growing weak. Maybe you're at a time in your life where, where you're, you're kind of struggling with your faith. Maybe you're going through trials and those trials are bigger and scarier and hairier than you ever thought they could be. And in the face of those massive trials, maybe, maybe your faith is, is wavering. You find that your eyes tend to look more at the problem, focus more on this present reality, this trial, this struggle, focus more on that than on the promise of God for the future. So what do you do? What do you do? Is it hopeless? Well, if you're struggling to believe, remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. He says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. So open your Bible and read the promises of God. Open your Bible daily. How often do you struggle with sin? At least daily. How often do you struggle with your faith? Daily. So open His Word and read it. Attend the teaching of God's Word, the instruction from God's Word, exhortation from God's Word. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. 
It's one of our goals in the teaching and the preaching of God's Word here at Parkside that we would lift up Christ, that week after week we would lift Him up so that you would see the beauty of who He is and what He's done. That your eyes of faith would be, would be taken off of your struggle and placed on Christ. That your faith would be strengthened. And Paul says that's the means by which our faith is strengthened is God's Word itself. And so we preach God's Word and we lift up Christ so that you will see what He's really like and you will glory in who He is and you will rejoice that you get to know Him and through Him you get to know God. And by doing so, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So we proclaim the Word of Christ so that your faith would grow. That your faith would grow. And so if your faith is is diminishing, if you find you're struggling with your faith, open up God's Word. Be here to hear God's Word. Read it. Read it. Expose yourself to it. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. We look secondly at the legacy of faith. We talked about Hebrews Chapter 11, we said that there are numerous examples. I didn't count how many examples and different people there are in here, but there are many. And uh, there is quite the legacy. This is called the Hall of Faith. And uh, perhaps it's best known for its litany of, of Old Testament saints and their faith and sometimes the things that they did as a result. Uh, but this is, this is an example to us. These are, these are called witnesses. By the way, when you turn the chapter and you go to Hebrews chapter 12... In verse 1, it talks about us being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. These aren't primarily witnesses who are watching us. I'm sure they have other things that are more uh, beneficial and blessing to watch than us. They're proclaiming to us. They're telling us what they saw. By their very lives, they testify to us. They witness to us. These are the witnesses from long ago. And if you read through Hebrews chapter 11, it'll take you on a fascinating and instructive tour of redemptive history about how faith was at work starting all the way back with Abel and then Enoch and then moving forward, Abraham and and the patriarchs and, and the story goes on and faith was a central role. In all of that. So we have witnesses about faith, witnesses from long ago, and we could expound for weeks on all that you find in those passages, but we're not going to for today. I want to talk about instead what they received. What they received. Look at verse 2, chapter 11, verse 2. For by it, that is by faith, the people of old received their commendation. They received their commendation. They were commended by God. In other words, they were approved by God. The word that Paul would use is they were justified. How did God become pleased with them? How did God uh, justify them? They received commendation. So, if you've read your Old Testament and you've read this chapter, you know that Some questions are raised because it doesn't seem like they received commendation because of their lifestyle. I see Samson's name in there. And even worse, I see Jephthah's name in there. 
So it wasn't lifestyle, it wasn't faithfulness, it wasn't their obedience. Uh, their obedience was questionable at best. So the question next is, how did they receive it? How did they receive this commendation? How did they receive God's approval? It wasn't their life. It was their faith. It wasn't their obedience. It wasn't their faithfulness. It wasn't their sacrifice. It was their faith. We know that's the point of our passage because by faith is uh, mentioned numerous, numerous times in this passage. And because the same thing that we read in verse 2 about people being uh, commended by their faith is the same thing that we read at the end of the chapter. Verse 39, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. The commendation of faith, justification by faith, is the same thing being discussed right here. So how are they commended? How do they receive justification? Well, it's by faith. Even in the Old Testament, even all the way back to Abel, that's pretty old. That's, that's a, you haven't turned many pages in your Bible when you get to Abel all, all of a sudden, right? And from the beginning to the end, justification was by faith. And you've heard me say that tons of times, but it is tempting for us when we read the Old Testament, when we read the law, we read the instructions given, we sometimes make a switch in our mind and we begin to think it was obedience to this that resulted in their justification. It was obedience to the law that resulted in them being declared righteous before God. It was obedience to the law that was the way they were saved or made it into heaven. And the author to the Hebrews tells us here that is not the case. Their commendation was because of faith. Because of faith. And so when we read in the New Testament about faith, when we read in Romans about justification by faith, it is no new message. It's been the way of salvation from the beginning. Now I'm going to skip a couple of verses here as we move on to point three. I want to skip down to verse six. And there are some examples there and I read it in the beginning, but I really want to focus on what we read in verse six. Without faith... It is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So the question comes up in my mind, what is it about faith that pleases God? What is it about faith that God finds pleasing? Well, I'll answer it by reminding us of the facts of the gospel. If we think about the elements, the facts, the events of the gospel, what are they? Well, holy God created man who fell into sin and rebellion and therefore is deserving of God's judgment. That's the bad news. Good news is that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live a life of obedience and to die a sacrificial death to pay the penalty for sinners. And then God acknowledged that that payment was adequate, it was, it, it was worthy, and so He raised Jesus from the dead. Right? Well, that's the gospel. That, those are the facts of the gospel. Right? That's about holy God and sinful man and how that problem is resolved. But where are those facts? That's the question 
I want to answer here. Why is it faith that pleases God? Well, the gospel helps us understand that. In order for the eternal benefits, in order for the blessings of the gospel to be made ours, what needs to happen? Those events took place. I could even believe that those events took place. Maybe I could know them. Maybe I've got them memorized so that I could tell someone else. And I've heard of unbelievers who knew the gospel, sharing the gospel for some reason with another unbeliever, and the second unbeliever becoming a Christian through it. I even heard of one story where this person went back to the first person and shared the gospel with them later on, and they both got saved. So you can memorize the facts of the gospel, even if you don't believe them. But memorizing the facts does nothing. The gospel is not a spell to bring something about. You could even believe that the events of the gospel are true. You could believe that God really does exist and that He's holy. That man fell into sin and thus He deserves God's judgment. You can believe all of those facts right down to the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. You could believe them all out there. And it have no benefit for you. What brings the benefit to the person is when they see themselves in that story. Holy God created me. And I sinned. And I become worthy and deserving of God's judgment. That's bad for me. That's not bad news on a page. That's bad for me. And so, God sent His Son, Jesus, to die for sinners like me. To walk in obedience to His Father in the place of sinners like me who have disobeyed. And He died for sinners like me. And God raised Him from the dead to give eternal life to sinners like me. So when I see myself in the story, when I understand that it is about me, it is not something I memorize, it's not uh, events in history that I may believe are true. It's about me. And when I come to understand that, when I see that story is about me, and that my only hope is what Jesus did, because I deserve God's judgment for what I've done. And my only hope is Him. Then, then, faith is acting. And what kind of faith will act when I truly understand myself in that story, seeing my need and seeing my salvation in Christ alone, what will happen in my life? I will see that reality as the greatest reality... It will be the center of my world and I will live accordingly. Because He really is my Savior. I really was lost without Him, condemned without Him. And now I have peace with God only through Him. What does He want me to do? What does He want me to do? I have a new center in my world. And so... Why is faith necessary? Well, you must have it to please God. Otherwise, the story is not about you. There are biblical scholars 
who know all the languages and know all the theology and don't believe any of it. It's mythology. They don't believe any of it. It does them no good until they see themselves in the story itself. And you can't see yourself truly in the story. You can't have the benefits of that truly unless you believe that God really exists because we're not talking about mythology. We're not talking about ideas on a paper or how things might work. We're talking about reality. And so we must believe that God really exists and we must believe that God really rewards those who seek Him. That's faith. It's a reorientation of all of our perceived reality around the truth of who Christ is and what He's done. And so we live accordingly. Not perfectly, but we live accordingly. We want to obey Him. We want to do what He says. We want to let it be seen in our lives like these Hebrews in chapter 10 and verse 34 who were willing to lose their property because they had better property. We become like that. Are you willing to suffer in this life and lose property, health, even perhaps life, because you have better property. You have eternal health and you have eternal life. That's faith. That's faith. And so we talked this morning about what is faith. I want us to take these concepts back with us, back to uh, Romans. I want to go back to Romans chapter 5 and, and talk about this, that faith is not like I thought it was, that it's just pretending like something is true. As if I decide I'm going to believe this fable and I'm going to orient my life around this fable, this story. But in fact, part of that is true because I, I thought that it was acting like it's true. Well, it is, isn't it? Because you believe that it's true, you do act accordingly. You indicate by your life what you really truly believe. I use the example of speeding a lot. By the way, I talk about speeding a lot. I don't speed. All right? I put the cruise control. Anybody who's driven to Cowboys Rest with me knows that I don't speed. It drives them nuts how slow I drive. I like to use that example, though. But if, if I believed, if I truly believed... That speeding will get me a ticket. Will I speed? Only if I'm willing to risk the ticket. Right? I won't. If I see lights around, if I see uh, cars that look like they might be, uh, you know, police, police cars, then no, I'm not going to speed. I'm going to act as though I believe it's true. But if I know that, oh, there's some number of miles an hour over the speed limit that I can go and they'll never stop me, guess what speed I'm going all the time? Right? I'm going to drive that speed because of what I believe to be reality. And when we believe in Christ, when we truly believe that He is our only hope before God, because I see myself in the story, I see my guilt in the story, I see the punishment that I deserve in that story, and I see that the only hope that I have is Christ, I reorient all of my reality around that truth. And I will live accordingly. And so you see faith showing itself. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of the reality of something, even when we can't yet see it. And without that kind of faith that draws near to God because He exists and rewards those who seek Him, there is no salvation. There is no eternal benefit. 
They are facts on a page in a closed book. Faith lays hold of Christ, of Christ himself, though we can't yet see him. Faith grabs hold of him and what he's done and secures that benefit for me personally. Faith lays hold of Christ and what he has accomplished with joy and confidence. I can stand before God, forgiven and made new in Christ and counted in him. And so that's what faith is. And this is why we proclaim Christ. This is why we lift him up because he is worthy of all of our faith. He is true ultimate reality. And he is the only means by which you, who really are in that story, whether you see yourself in the story or not, he's the only means by which you can be saved, can have peace with God. And so I'm going to pray in just a moment. And after I'm done praying, there'll be a family that comes forward to to pray with whoever would like to. But as I'm praying, I'm going to ask that the Lord would, would give you this faith, that you would see the reality of yourself in that story, and that you would see your only hope is Christ himself and what he has done. And may he save you even this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these realities. When we talk about faith, we're not talking about imaginings. We're not talking about something we wish were true. We're talking about you. We're talking about reality and ultimate reality. And Father, when I think about the truths of the gospel, the story of the events of the gospel, I can't help but see myself there. I know you're holy. I know you exist and you created me. And I don't have to look far to see my own sin, my own rebellion against you. And that, that makes me vulnerable to your judgment. That makes me worthy and deserving of your judgment, everlasting judgment for disobedience to an everlasting God. But I thank you that that's not the end of the story. I thank you that you sent your Son who obeyed where I have disobeyed and then went to the cross in my place to pay the penalty for my sins that I might be forgiven, that I might have the righteousness of Christ applied to me. And you raised him from the dead that I might have life. Father, I see myself in that story and I pray that you would help me to orient my entire life around the truth of that story because it's not a story as in fiction. It's a story as in true. Father, I pray that you would redeem sinners even this morning, that they for the first time ever would see themselves in that story, that they would know, that they would reach out and trust in Christ knowing that he is the only hope that they have. And I pray that they would find you to be perfect Savior. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths. Thank you for this cloud of witnesses who've gone before us and we can look at them and see they suffered worse than I suffer and they trusted you. They believed you though they didn't have the promise. Though they still waited for what was in the future. They believed in you. Father, help us to do the same today. We pray in Jesus' name. May the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God bless you all, and you are dismissed. Thank you.